sexual shadow witch and my name is Lacey Free and I'm the fucking host of Horrorpod. wanted to come out the gate calling you a controlling bitch (laughs) (laughs) we can get to that we can get to that yeah i i uh i have a i have a newfound admiration for people who uh experience pregnancy loss and then keep trying to have a baby because and you know i was 44 when i got pregnant almost 45 and was not planning to have another baby and really spent a lot of the pregnancy kind of wrapping my mind around it. I mean, I, I love being a mom. So I was like, okay, sure. But there's, it's uh, typically very hard for me, pregnancy and postpartum depression and everything else. So um, outside of the initial like two weeks of finding out that the I don't know, not even that long, but the initial window, I was like, well, we could try again or whatever. But then once that landed, I was like, oh, it's okay. But I can't imagine being in the position of, I I want to be pregnant and I've just had that experience and I'm going to risk it again. I mean, I, 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 I'm like in awe of, of women who do that because, uh, it, it was, really scary. And I had, you know, my births are typically pretty easy. I get really sick and stuff when I'm pregnant. So I don't love that part, but I had never, you know, and my last two were home births, you know, um, I had never seen the risk firsthand of how kind of sketch things can get fast. That was very humbling. I'm just in awe of people. I mean, I have friends who have tried four or five times, you know, uh, before their baby was born. And I'm just like, yeah, wow. Wow. That's fucking badass. Cause it was kind of like, I was ignorant to the fact that that, that threat really exists. And part of that is cause we don't talk about it. It wasn't until I had a miscarriage and found out, Oh, everyone I know has had one, you know, and that's something, the reason I talk about it publicly is I'm like, I, uh, can't believe how many of my friends have just like suffered in silence through this, you know, but, uh, yeah, so I didn't, I mean, I knew it was a risk. If I'm honest, I was checking a, uh, I was checking a miscarriage risk calculator every day. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. (laughs) And then calling me asking if it was okay if you had nettle and I was like, don't take anything actually. Yeah, there. When you were talking about the the mamas who try multiple times and experience loss and try again, in a way, I was like, "Holy fuck!" They're so strong, and it's true, they are so strong. 
but also the cycles of our body are built for death. Mm. Like part of us dies every month when we have our period and then, and it builds itself back up. Yeah. So in a way I'm sure it can feel depleting, but also like our bodies are so fucking resilient and they die all the time. And parts of us die inside of ourselves all the time. And then it builds back up. Mm. So it's almost like they've mastered being able to go through the cycle of death and rebirth. Wow. When I had a miscarriage, I think timelines are really interesting because there were times in, there were like timestamps in my mom's trajectory. And it seems like I got to crossroads at each of her timestamps. When she was 18, she got pregnant with me. And then when I was 18, I got pregnant. And it was always like that time stamp of like, Ooh. I knew she got pregnant then. And I got pregnant, but I was like really out of it in life, like not conscious. And I was with my friend in a bathroom stall and I did the pregnancy test. And one of the lines was a little faded. So I was like, oh yeah, two lines. I'm good. Let's make it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I did not. Uh, equate that in my brain that it was a positive test and I went and got drunk and then I went to like a women's clinic because I wasn't having my period and they didn't even check me for pregnancy but they told me I was RH negative then and then put me on all this birth control and hormones so then they did a forced miscarriage and the lady called me and she's like oh honey I just wanted to let you know you're pregnant. And I was like, no, I started my period like you told me. And she's like, oh, you, that means you lost it. Jesus. <laughs> and I just like fell into myself and I died then, but I couldn't come back to life. It took me a while to come back to life. And I had to keep touching death closer and closer and closer. I had to keep getting closer to death. The miscarriage wasn't enough till I could be reborn again. Mm. So I was a zombie for a few months and then I was going across the interstate and a semi hit my car. And I think I've talked about that accident before or not a semi, but like a huge truck. Yeah. I don't actually know what the truck looked uh, like. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't get a chance to check it See out. It. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the jaws of life took me out. And then that's when I started waking back up was a few days after that. Cause nothing happened to me in the accident. The car just crumbled around me, but it's like, I had to keep getting closer and closer to death before I would choose life again. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like, I don't know how to describe what the, what the thing was that, helped me in the the miscarriage but there was something about getting close to death that makes you go oh that's right this isn't real you know or something like um and then the next like i said the next few months were rough and you know i had to do therapy and 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 stuff and the the two weeks i mean you know afterward like insane but i did a much better job of taking care of myself post that than in the past traumatic experiences. So I think it speaks a little bit to how much less desensitized or dissociated I am, but I'm still yeah. a control freak. If you want to, um, 
I was really excited to open this episode calling you a controlling bitch. <laughs> calling us. <laughs> um, yeah. But when you did have the miscarriage, you called me that night and, well, you texted me that you had a miscarriage. And I was like, do you want to talk? Let's talk. <laughs> and I really just wanted to fly to you and like sit on your bed. And you called me guns ablazing about race relations in America. And just <laughs> true, honest, empathetic concern. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And you were like asking me these like ginormous philosophical questions about race relations in America. And then I found myself answering them and pondering them. And I'm like, wait, pause. What's happening? <laughs> Oh, really doing my work. Really doing my work. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that was an energy of control or what was that? Uh, that's a really good question. I I I feel like what has been happening for the last 5 years for me is the slow, very slow release of Things I picked up throughout life to stay safe. Defense mechanisms I picked up throughout life to stay safe. So certain things that I talk about all the time. Um, I'm actually a highly, highly sensitive person. I'm sensitive to energy. I'm sensitive to noises. I'm sensitive to smells. I'm sensitive to other people being mad at me. I'm hypersensitive. I am finding to criticisms or things I perceive to be criticisms. Um, not because... I don't know. I, I know myself to be someone who's always looking for ways to like improve and be a better person and show up better. But there's something about people criticizing me that makes me feel like I'm going to be burned at the stake or, or uh, never loved again in my life. Um, <clears throat> and obviously like, you know, drug addict mothers, not a safe place to be a hypersensitive kid. And so I developed this tough exterior. I developed a sense of humor I developed this ability to communicate. I developed this uh, like extreme micromanagement of my environment. And for a really long time, I, I dedicated an enormous, this is before I ever had any sort of public thing, an enormous amount of time to micromanaging everyone else's perception of me and in my personal relationships. Like I couldn't handle people being mad at me or thinking ill of me. And I'm sure they did behind my back, but I was uh, hyper vigilant. And if I was in a personal relationship with someone, whether close friendship, sibling or, or romantic relationship, if I perceived that you were going to leave or that you were tired of me, I would kick you out of my life or create some sort of dramatic thing to gauge your interest. Like, so I, I, I had all of this stuff that I've just like one by one been like, well, this is fucking embarrassing and like worked through it. And not to claim that I've worked through it past tense. I'm done working through it. In trauma, I typically do not know I'm in trauma. So like during Lyme disease, I didn't, well, I would say the first, yeah, I would say 2020 was the worst year of my life. And I did not know that when I was in it. Um, once towards the end of the year, like this time in 2020, and I was like, had been in bed for a couple months. <clears throat> and was deteriorating really fast. I guess I knew that, but 
um, I, I distracted myself with a lot of stuff. So yeah, I think there is to a certain extent, I've always avoided my own stuff or my own vulnerability by trying to fix other people's stuff. And that's something that's really been highlighted for me in the last year in my friendships. You know, there's something about people going through stuff that triggers me and then I want to fix their stuff. And I, I haven't fully sussed out is that because uh, I think that if I can't solve their problems, they're not going to love me. Or if it's because like I can't sit with someone else being in discomfort, you know, both. Yeah. Well, when and like I find that sometimes a lot of masculine energy in my life. Um they'll want to fix it for me. Yeah. Like I'm just expressing and I'm emotional and they want to fix it for me. But they, but one of my partners was like, well, I need to be in control of my environment. And when you're not okay, Lacey, you feel like a wild card. And like, if I fix it, then I have more control over the safety of my environment. And like actually you being upset and having your own grief and your own emotions doesn't feel safe to me because I don't feel like I have a say so of what's happening in my external realm. Um, well that just made me cry. So maybe that's. <laughs> yeah. And when we're little going through trauma, it's not safe when other people are having big emotions. Yeah. Like when my mom would have really big emotions that I knew there was going to be an alcohol bender. I knew there were going to be guys in and out of the house. I knew there was going to be shit that was breaking. So automatically that sent a red flag into my body and a warning that her sadness is going to end up to be a catastrophe. So I would try to mitigate her sadness in that moment. And it's how I learned to be a really fucking good caretaker. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... I, I think that really hit home. And the more I learn about the nervous system, the more I'm able to kind of identify like, oh, someone is just trying to say how they're feeling. And to me, how I'm experiencing it is they're trying to convince me that it's hopeless. And I have, I think I have some sort of when I'm struggling, which is a lot more often than I'm ever letting on. I think that I have this sort of, because I'm mostly managing it through mental compartmentalization. I think that when other people, and I've experienced this with my kids a lot, when they're having big emotions and I haven't yet come to a place where I'm able to hold space for my own big emotions, I feel like they're going to, like the floodgates are going to open. And so I get very kind of managey. And I am now like to the place where mental compartmentalization doesn't work anymore where it used to, where I used to be able to just tell myself a narrative. Ooh, what a sign of healing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. This is my new thing is I go, I know it here pointing at my head, but I don't know it here pointing to my heart or here pointing to my body. So it doesn't actually help anymore to, uh, to basically what I base like all of like soberish on or whatever. Those were things that helped me for years. But then I just got to a place where it's like, okay, but now you have an emotional body that you actually have access to. And these fun little mental tricks um, do work great still for like last night, I woke up in the middle of the night and decided to just like worry and catastrophize about things that aren't happening. 
And, uh, and then, you know, they do work for stuff like that when the mind just wants to be like, blah, 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 blah. But the anxiety that I feel when, uh, someone's mad at me or, um, the free falling that I feel like I'm going through a little bit of this right now where I'm like, I'm definitely kind of shedding an old skin that I'm not even sure what it is yet. And I'm moving into a new thing. And so there is just kind of a free falling feeling in my energy where I don't have any certainty and I don't know where this is going to go. And I'm finding myself being kind of nostalgic for past versions of me that were overly confident or arrogant. You know, I'm like, damn, I missed when I felt like I knew it all. So the vulnerability is new, new, new for me. And I, I am finding ways in like personal relationships where I I feel like I need to manage what other people around me are doing to prevent me from getting hurt. I'm finding that I really don't trust people the way that I think I trust people close to me. Um, I like, I have to be in control of so many situations. So yes. in, in answer to your question, um, in the, in those moments after the, the miscarriage was I like projecting, um, immense grief and fear and uncertainty and, and whatever onto, yeah, I think I'm in a perpetual state of doing that. I don't know if I ever won't, but I am, I think, go ahead. I think it's a, a, I don't mean to single you out when I talk about that situation, because I think it's a default for uh, people who've been abused to manage their own abuse. And I'm just talking for me, like I've managed my own abuse by wanting to conquer and understand and fix something. Yeah. Because we're always trying to heal our wound, but sometimes we don't know how to touch our own wound. And we don't even, when we're in the state of trauma, we can't critically think and perceive that we're in the trauma, but we feel that something is off. We feel that something is wrong. So if we fix this external injustice, then we are helping mend wounds. And in a way we're each other's mirror and each other's reflection and it helps to become a healer, but it's just the wounded healer bullshit, you know, like trying to save things outside of ourselves. And I don't think you were like consciously doing that or even doing that in the moment, but I like, I do that. I've done that. And speaking of being a control freak, (laughs) (laughs) like it's really interesting in like healing professions and who chooses to go in them and who chooses not to. You know, so people who choose the healing professions are interesting beings. And it's a lot of time rooted in our own trauma. So you'll find, especially with like birth work and doulas, these energies that come and want to take over the room. They think they're doing a good job by being the center of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like that, like, I'm not doing a good job as a doula if I'm hanging back in the corner, if I brought a book and I'm reading while the mom is just like with her partner, you know, but like who the fuck wants to be 
in an intimate situation with their partner and have some bouncy redhead in between them. You know what I mean? Like, like they're like in the most intimate moment of their lives. And it's such a hard balance of knowing how much I should be in it and not how much of control I should have over the room or not. Cause in a way you look at birth workers and you sort of want them to be this heavy stump who's rooted, who you can lean into but you can, people can become really controlling really fast and bring their own like ethics and ideas and the way it should be into the room. Yeah. And I, up to a few weeks ago, thought I was such a fucking good healer. Like I really believed I like surpassed that energy and had like a really good balance of showing up for people and stepping back and letting people be autonomous beings. It's like, yeah, I'm letting you choose and I'm holding the space until I had to heal all the, or be a healing person or hold space for all the fucking women in my life. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like all of a sudden. So my grandma had a stroke and she had to, she got released from the hospital the next day. But when she got released from the hospital, she went home and I was her caretaker and she started scrubbing the floors, literally on her hands and knees, like scrubbing, doing the dishes. My brother started counting how many times she cleaned the sink and we got up to like 20. Whoa. And she was so perplexed as to why I was there taking care of her and not working. And I'm like, I come from such a line of workaholics. Mm. And this, I don't know if I've told you, but this last summer, my ancestors came in and they were like, bitch, quit acting like you don't have ancestors. <laughs> like, I don't know why you think you're so special and you were just like placed here by an alien and you're going to go back. <laughs> but you actually have ancestors. You actually can pretend you're cutting off everyone in your family, but they're living inside of your body. Wow. And you're going to heal with them and you're going to show up as a healer for them. And they're going to be medicine for you. Whether you like it or not, you're not better than them. You're not better than your lineage. Mm. They're working through you. So part of them working through me is me being a doula for my nanny, my grandma, who I call nanny, having a stroke. And I started yelling at her when she was cleaning. And I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? You are insane. This is insane. You are addicted to work. And I just, and then my brother was sitting there and I was literally yelling at my little grandma who had a stroke days before because I wanted her to rest. So I thought it was really good for her nervous system for me to yell at her. <laughs> and I was so angry that she didn't trust me as a healer that I like literally will get paid for it by other people, but she won't let me like make tea in her kitchen. She won't take any herbs. And normally I'm like, you don't want the herb I'm taking? You're an autonomous being. But I, my grandma, I'm like, open up your fucking mouth, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother's like literally sitting in the room just like crying. And I'm like, why are you crying? <laughs> I've been here for days, blood, sweat, and tears. You just got here. And he's like, Lacey, you have to be gentle. 
Like, you have to be gentle with her. And I was like, I am as gentle as it gets. (laughs) And you're like punching the table. (laughs) But like, really, I thought I was, I truly thought I was being gentle. And I thought she was a mental patient that I was supposed (laughs) to scream at. So it's just how fast what you think you are and what you truly are in a moment of need can really switch up. Mm. But see, that's my, when I show up to births, I'm in control of myself, of my emotions, right? not of the situation, but I'm grounded in myself. When I'm with my grandma, I am not in control of my emotions or myself. She can say something that throws me off so far. She was like, I'm like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be scrubbing the floor. And she's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't push away every guy. And you're like, you need oh to get married. <laughs> No, she makes me so mad. And then I told her, I was like, well, I bought a camper. I'm going to live in a camper on a ranch. I can do this. And she's like, no, you need a husband to help you build it out. You need this. And I was like, did your husband help you? I was like, where is your husband now? And he's dead. So that wasn't very nice. Like, literally, and I like feel like I'm such a good healer in the world. And I, and, I, and I told myself, okay, that was just my grandma, a little bump in the road, you know, got <laughs> these abilities. And then one of my best friends in the world is having a rough time and she's texting me all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, do you want an opinion? Do you want some advice or do you just need to express? And she's like, I would really like your input. I respect your input. So then I gave her all my input, and then she was like, no, and she was so mad at me. And I was like, nobody wants the truth. <laughs> nobody understands the truth. I'm here. I'm a truth teller, and they don't want it. Even though they say they want it, they can't handle any darkness. Everyone's love and light besides me. And I'm, like, really ready to break up with an amazing friend because I'm, like, so mad that she's not hearing me. Just like with my grandma's, like, she's not hearing me, you know? Yeah. Even though these two people are really going through their own shit. And I want them to hear me on how it can be better. Tell me you're a projector without telling me you're a projector. (laughs) And then I ate an edible and my guides are just, like... (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is so stressful. And my guides were like, hey, Lacey, everyone, everyone just wants to be heard. Even if they're telling you you have great input, everyone wants to be heard. And that's like actually not bad. It's Mm -hmm. actually not bad. Just just hear them. Don't come with an agenda. I like have a, I'm ready to write out a whole curriculum every time someone's hurt. <laughs> but really, I do that in my readings. I was, I'm like, take this, do this, stare at the moon at night, you know, do five backflips and then burn this candle. But, <laughs> but you know, most of the time, people just want to be hurt. And mind you, all this revelation was after I was on the phone with you telling you, like, I don't think I'm really that controlling. I'm just surrounded by controlling women. I like that you're taking, like, drinks of a protein shake. <laughs> I'm still stressed. Like, so I ate an edible and my guide said, 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't eat an edible now, but in the middle of the night last night. But yeah, my grandma had a stroke and then I went to California and then I'm back with a friend who just had hip surgery. And it's all these like extremely strong women who want me to know they're strong and who don't want to rest and don't want to receive. And I was thinking about this energy of like receiving, like why is receiving so fucking hard? And then I was like, oh, when we truly receive and, I, and you know, I make everything about sex. So like when you receive in sex, you surrender control. Yeah. You're actually not in control. It's one of the only times energetically, physically, you relinquish to control to be able to receive. And a lot of us don't receive fully ever because we're so used to being in control. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I didn't let anybody go down on me for most of my life. Cause I've like, I have no idea what to do in this moment. I hate it. It creeps me out. Um, and then I think when, when you say like you called, cause you were really trying to take care of me after, after the miscarriage. And I don't remember, uh, that conversation really, but I can almost guarantee that the part of me that knew you were going to like try to hold space for the moment that I was in and the part of me, cause there were definitely many points where I was just trying to escape, you know, I was trying to escape the vulnerability of the moment. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm so bad at receiving. I'm so bad at receiving. I have, you know, when, when friends or family try to help me move, I pay them. I like insist on paying them. I have a really hard time receiving. I feel like I'm better at receiving from you than anyone, Mark maybe, but it, uh, I have so much programming around what makes me strong and what makes me weak. And I, I have a real like deep-seated subconscious belief that vulnerability is weakness and insecurity is weakness. I think society at large has this idea that insecurity is weakness and that I need to hide that things hurt my feelings and that I need to be able to shoulder things and not have them bother me, you know? And this is a lot of the stuff I'm kind of trying to sort through in my own life and get to a place where I can just hear people without trying to fix it, you know, without trying to help them escape or make them escape. Cause a lot of times it's, it's not for them. It's for me. Right. It's so that I don't have to sit in this uncomfortable energy. So it's very layered. I mean, when I think back to, like soberish days. The thing that's really cringy to me is, um, I don't know. You guys talk, we talked about this the other day. I'm like, I'm in this process with the new podcast where I am wanting to be more open-handed and more philosophical and more, um, passive. I don't know open-minded. I don't know. I don't know what the thing I want to create. I want it to be funny and I don't want it to be wishy-washy because that's not fun. I do this thing when I'm not okay or when there's chaos or whatever, where I feel like I have to know, like I have to be certain. And that's something I've 
only realized about myself in the last year, probably. And I'm also learning like how subjective reality is and how different all of us are. And I'm just wanting to be more, more clear that my perspective is my perspective and not universal truth. Yeah, but sorry, but whenever whenever you say that, I'm like, oh fuck, humble bitch. Humble is like low to the ground. And I see why people rave about it, you know, rooted. And I and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying it's also like everyone's discernment. It's everyone's choice to decide what's certain or not. Yeah. And people can like a la carte, like, I think this philosopher is certain on this and I'm going to pull these ideas and I like this one for this and I'm going to pull these ideas. Not every, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I, and it's like, sometimes like when I do sessions with people, I do sessions with a lot of healers who are afraid to step in their power. And one thing I hear over and over is, well, I don't want people to think I'm like trying to be too certain or like I have the one ultimate truth or I'm trying to dictate someone else's reality. So then they won't fully step into their power. And I'm just, well, that's the choice of everyone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I resonate. It's like, yeah. And it's, and it's almost like taking away, not that you're doing this, but it's almost taking away some of their power because they get to pick and choose what resonates with them. And you can still be certain in that moment, even if it evolves or shifts. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, our truths can change and that doesn't make them untruths in the future just because the truth shifted, you know, because reality shifted. Yeah. And that's something that's always interesting to me because it's very cringy to me to leave these podcasts up like years after I've shed that entire identity. You know, I'm like, so when people are like, oh, I'm listening to Mormon and the meth head. I'm like, oh, dear God. But it's that version of me is resonating with this version of that person. And even though I uh, have moved into this more kind of, um, I don't even know what to call this version of me right now. I think I'm, I think I'm looking at society and I'm looking at the things I don't like, right? I'm looking at the certainty and the people arguing over the certainty and the uh, obligation to be certain and the obligation to have all the answers and the, you know, a lot of things that I don't resonate with, which is like, we've all decided this thing. That means it's real, even though fuck your personal experience. You know, I don't resonate with a lot of these things. So I go, okay, well, where's that in me? And I think just when I look back to 2020, I go, man, I wish I would have just told the truth, which is I don't have any fucking idea. And I am having the worst time of my life right now. But I, I feel like I did this thing where I'm like on fire and I'm just carrying myself like, yeah, I got it. I got it guys. It's this way, you know? And part of that's just who I am as a person. And I, I think I'm in a balancing phase and trying to figure it out. You know, I've tried to record several episodes of this podcast and I'm remembering why in the past I chose to speak with authority and that's because it, it really, if you don't pick a perspective, it's, it's really bad <laughs> for podcasting. 
yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's shocking uh, i think the paint is not dry on wherever i'm at right now but i think it's worth discussing in it where my ideal reality is that everyone recognizes that reality is like largely 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 subjective and that we all become curious about each other's perspectives and that it is just a given that when I'm speaking, I'm speaking from my perspective and it's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. You know, I fucking completely disagree with it, but that's really interesting that that's the broadcast, like that's your frequency, you know? There's there's some sort of quote from some sort of book. <laughs> And it goes something like this. It says, in war, the first thing we lose is truth. So just have your truth. Mm. Like, the first thing we lose is truth. There is no just truth. So I just want people, like, I want myself to feel free to express my truth in any moment. And my truth is what I'm feeling in that moment. And the freedom is being able to evolve and shift my own truths, hmm. you know? And will I fuck up in it and start screaming at my grandma about <laughs> taking herbs? Like, yeah. <laughs> and then I'll say sorry, but that doesn't mean that there there isn't truth to what I'm saying. Yeah. There doesn't mean that I am certain about what I was saying about those herbs. And she's certain that she wants nothing to fucking do with it. And that's okay. Yeah. Everything is so much more kind of receptive and about understanding, uh, holding space for yourself where in 2019, everything was still coming to this like far more masculine, uh, you know, far more mental, logical place. And it was also, I was far more into us versus them stuff back then. So I was far more into you know, oh, your mother's toxic, blah, 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 where now it's, I I have a lot more space for everyone doing the best they can with what they got. And so my guidance, my advice, whatever you want to call it, the mirror that I hold is a lot more kind of like letting that person be the frequency that they want to be, that they are. And learning to set boundaries and decide like what level you want, what character you want that person to play in your life and whatever. And so sometimes it's cringy to me to think maybe this is what I'm dealing with. I am someone who's changing all the time. And I think most of us are. And I've never, until the talking into microphones, had to really deal with all these past versions of myself. I've never really had to think about them too much because often I change very much like you. I change environments. I change cast of characters. And so they become, those past versions of myself become stories that I tell and not things that I face that I have mirrored back to me all the time. Yes. Yes, this is so on track because I like was doing a track on track to what I was feeling last night. Not on track to some certain truth. <laughs> You're almost there, Jessa. You're almost there. Um, no, I when I was um, eating dark chocolate in my bed last night, high as fuck, channeling this, I was thinking, um, Lacey do you 
see the people in your life as people or do you see them as characters to your story? Mm. Do you live or are you writing a story? Because if you're writing a story, you're just in control all the time and you're Mm. actually not living. And like, do you feel like you control people? Like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I don't know. Do, I, do I have a tendency to to be like really subtly micromanaging and controlling of the people very close to me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe so not I, close to me. I don't know. Yeah. I, I like didn't honestly really know if I was or I would tell you I wasn't or I was trying not to be. But um, I feel like I have been controlling like especially starting to date in my 30s. It's so scary. Mm. It's so scary. It's so awful. I hate it. And I was talking to an ex-partner about a current partner. And I was like, I did this and I did that. And what do you think? What is he thinking? Or And my ex-partner was like, Lacey, you're not treating him like a human. Oh. You're not treating him like a human. You're acting like you're the only one with nerves or you're the only one who feels insecure or you're the only one who has like weird emotions after sex. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then I was like, yeah, I am. I'm literally just obsessed with his reaction to me rather than who he actually is. Like, how is he perceiving me? Yeah. Instead of like, who is he as a human? Mm. Oh, absolutely. I've, yes, done that. Um, Do that. It's a little bit different with me and Mark, but there's other aspects in which I can see me trying to like micromanage like life here. But yeah, until all the way through that twin flame thing, I mean, I saw myself as this perpetual victim of uh, everyone I've ever been in love with and become completely self-obsessed and preoccupied with my own safety and even in like, you know, the more, this is something cringy about Mormon and Method days is I, I dedicated so much time and energy to talking about attachment styles, not because I was having a revelation yet about the damage that anxiously attached people do um, to their partners, but because I wanted him to realize that he was avoidant and he was hurting me, you know, yeah. and yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah my ex-partner would say I'm like manipulative in our relationship. And I was like, what are you talking about? This, what do you mean? And I truly didn't understand what he meant because I didn't feel like I was manipulative or trying to be. But when I'm in this new um, connection, I find myself obsessing with his reactions towards me about me. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm affecting his reactions towards me. Mm. What if I text this? How is he going to react? Yeah. What if, what if I do this? How is he going to react? And then I just get crazier and crazier. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just like leaned into the like psychosis of it all. And we're like having sex and I like lean over and I'm like, I'm a witch. I'm like he doesn't know what witch means. Like he doesn't know. Like, yeah, he doesn't know what any of that means, and he's just so scared. And I'm just like, I'm really scary. And I just keep telling him like, ooh. 
And then I was like, why am I trying to make this dude so scared of me in a way? Like he, he grew up in the South and he grew up Baptist (laughs) and he's like really into like psychedelics and exploring and nature and animals and all this stuff now, but like still doesn't fully know the magic scary realm. But then I realized, oh, I'm in the forest with a man who I actually don't know that well, who has guns and we're in the mountains. And I could disappear here. So I'm controlling my environment by acting like a psychotic scare. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm controlling him by like sex and like leaning into my witchiness. But I'm like, this dude is so scared of the fact that I'm a witch. He's not going to do anything to me before. (laughs) So I'm saying that to say, Sometimes our control, or most of our time, our control protects us. Mm -hmm. And it's not a thing to have self-punishment about either. Yeah, It's just asking a deeper question of why do we feel like we need to be so in control? Yeah. And when we age, when we get old, if we have a stroke or surgery, are we going to still need to be in control when we can barely stand up? are we going to let someone bring us tea or water or rub our feet? Yeah. But there's still just this hyper protection. And that's why we don't receive is this hyper protection. And you were talking about this energy of like doing the podcast is showing you multiple versions of yourself. Mm -hmm. But I think everyone is experiencing that for the first time ever on the planet. Like, I'm hearing people who have not been self-aware totally and who've just never talked like this be like, oh, I think that's my little girl self. I think, like, even my grandma's, like, starting to become aware of past timelines of herself. Where before, like, the motto in the family was don't dwell on the past. Yeah. You know? And there is no version of yourself once it's over. It's a new day. Work harder new day work harder and now she's like this is who I was when I was 20 this is who I was when I was 15 like I did a session with a man last night and he was like I'm afraid of aging and it's showing up in these ways that are really hard for me and he's getting angry about it but it's really like his teen self coming in and taking the wheel and telling his aging body to get in the fucking back seat And it's creating this conflict where he's fighting in himself and then fighting externally. And now he's like, oh, I can dance with that teenager. I can listen to that teenager. Because just controlling other versions of ourselves and other timelines doesn't work either. Mm. We can't muzzle the teenage version of ourselves and tell them to shut up or control them. Because they'll take the wheel. They'll come out. Yeah. then you really will have control. Okay. I think you're unlocking something for me right now where there are a couple things. So I've always been someone who changes a lot in life. And I believe we're going into a reality, not to project this onto all of humanity, but that what is happening, I'll be certain, uh, that we are, are, we're moving into a very, um, accelerated, experiential, nonlinear 
reality in which it's about experience and awareness and it and it's and it's breaking away from this homogenized you stay at the same job your whole life you stay in the same reality your whole life whatever and this is traumatic for people and this is what all these collapsing and stuff doing where a lot of people call like er- tower moments everything falling apart you and I call it hopping a timeline because you and I are both people who have just been moved from timeline to timeline uh I feel like I initiate more of my moves but I have just lived a million lives already and there has always been this kind of subconscious shame about that because that's not the world I lived in. I lived in a world that expected you to be the same person. You know, I literally grew up when it was very common to say people don't change. And I, my entire moral compass has changed multiple times. My priorities have changed multiple times the way I show up. Uh, I've had timelines where I'm extremely empathetic. I've had timelines where I'm very closed off, you know everything about me has changed so many times throughout my life. And I have a slight shame about that, that I I think a lot of people have. And that's the thing we're kind of transmuting right now and accepting like there is no linear stable reality. There is no secure job. This shit is changing so fast. You cannot guarantee security or safety. So you just have to learn to be in the moment. So there's that a little bit. But I think what I'm realizing now that I am having the experience of people have witnessed past versions of me on larger scales than ever before. And I, I, it's, I am, I am desiring to reject past parts of myself. I am exi- I'm desiring to, um, yeah, ex- exile them, reject them, renounce them, whatever, in a way that if you were in a session with me and you were talking the way I've been talking for the last few weeks, this is really interesting. Um, I've tried to record multiple episodes of this podcast and I'm like, no, this isn't it. And if I look back, it's a, it's a ton of like self-rejection and, and renouncing rather than being like, that's who I was. That's the moment I was in. Uh, love and compassion to that version of me and also a celebration of the of the new me I get to be because the reality is that version of me still lives in my body like that version of me is with me forever and just like wow I have goosebumps right now I'm so glad we did this I was like I know I need to do this podcast um just like I spent the first few decades of my life up until 2019 rejecting sensitive Jessa I have now spent, now that I am starting to re-embrace sensitive Jessa, there is a part of me that is like wanting to reject the part of me, the the versions of me to get here. Like the transformation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise be. Blessed be my Lord. Like, oh my gosh. Because every time you talk like this, I'm just like, there's just so much self-rejection and it makes me want to be like, stop stop like it's okay yeah you know yeah it's okay like stop being mean to yourself but then I'm bumping up against trying not to control you yeah you know and like letting you feel whatever you're feeling in it but like seriously it everything changes like you're saying and simultaneously those versions of ourselves still exist and haven't changed are still in our bodies and haven't changed and same with all the people we've loved. 
we may feel like we're in a totally new timeline and they don't exist anymore, but they do. Right. And we carry it in our bodies still, especially if we've had sex with them or we're family with them, you know, yeah. we're psychically connected to them still. And they can feel us and we can feel them telepathically. Mm. So to me, a lot of new age spirituality was like, just cut them off. And I'm not saying like, you have to stay in bed with your abuser or, you know, keep the abusive family members. Like you can go to those other timelines, but there was something in me that I had to make peace with that all those versions of me still exist. And all those other people still exist on those timelines too. Yeah. I feel like I'm infinite and maybe this is just true for everybody, but I feel like I'm infinitely more compassionate of other people than I am myself. Like I hold myself to this ridiculous standard on a lot of this stuff where if you talk to me about your former partner or, you know, I'm in a session and it's talking about whatever, I feel like I have so much more space to be like people change, people grow, people, whatever. And I'm just realizing how, huh? Yeah. I've been sitting in this dissonance for a few weeks and I feel like there is a new part of me trying to emerge, but something about it is glitching. And I'm just thinking like, if I think of 2020 me, 2019 me, 20, uh, I 2018 was having fun, but like 2019, 2020, 2021, the the work I was doing in those years, making huge mistakes. And that's just like something I have to like, I wish I had said more early into talking to microphones that making massive mistakes is just my process and I'm not perfect and I'm not good. And I'm not like, I'm not trying to be those things, but um, that journey from duffel bag of feelings in 2019, where I like, I feel like my emotional body turned on, to like, then I went into some sort of kind of victim consciousness for a while. Okay. So I can't remember exactly what I was saying, but I think that um, if I think of each past version of myself as, as what I can only ever be, which is doing the best I can with what I've got, right? That's all anybody's doing, doing the best they can with what they've got. And the task that 2019, 2020, 2021 version of me had, which was shed these layers of external, you know, I used to say that I carry myself like someone who won't take your shit when in reality, I'm like fully prepared to take your shit. Like I carry myself like someone who doesn't care what people think when I'm actually hypersensitive to it. And I've tried to release that as much as possible in the last few years, while all of a sudden I'm feeling my feelings about all this stuff. And there's like, my life is falling apart in multiple different ways. And a bunch of people are mad at me and I'm fucking all this stuff up. And now from this, from this more still place, I am finally have the space to sit with the hypersensitivity and go, what are you afraid of? Why is it when someone says like, Hey, I don't like this thing you did, or you fuck this up. I feel like I'm going to be murdered in the streets or spend the rest of my life alone. Like, that's really what it feels like. It's like crushing weight. Right. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me. So I think if each of those versions of me were actual people, and now I feel like I want to humiliate those versions of me or denounce them or reject them. If those were individual people connected to me who really 
carried a lot of burden to get me to the point where I am now, it's pretty fucked up. It's pretty fucked up that I would want to cancel those versions of myself or whatever. And I think that's what I'm connecting in this moment, this dissonance of, um, and I think we celebrate this self-rejection in so many ways. It's in capitalism, it's in religion, it's in a lot of this, you know, whatever you want to call this colonialism, this thing we're coming out of. I was reading something last night and they were like, new age spirituality just teaches you to love yourself. And I'm like, those dicks, you know, (laughs) it's like, it was from some Christian person in my family, but they, they were just like, they're, they're so selfish because they love themselves. It's like, we're selfish when we feel like we're in lack. We're Mm. selfish when we feel like we don't deserve, we're overcompensating. Just like we're controlling when we don't feel safe and protected when the environment doesn't feel stable. It's an overcompensation. But I did feel like worried and sad when you talk about 2020, because you you do talk about it a lot. And I'm like, why is Jessa still in 2020 in a way? Yeah. Why are you, why are you looping there? Because you've built so much since then. You've built yeah. so many things since 2020. Beautiful things. And and then I just felt like my guides were like, oh, because it's that version of justice saying, like, I'm still here. You can't shut me up. And you were literally on podcasts being being really loud and like, don't shut me up. And now you're the one trying to shut her up. But she doesn't yeah. need she doesn't need to shut up. Like she really doesn't. Yeah. Like, and she doesn't need to be punished in any way. And, yeah, and, that's interesting. And, I never had an experience in my life where I was two years past a moment and was even thinking about like two years ago. I, this is the first time in my life that I've ever felt like uh, I'm still I'm still trying to unpack. But when I see you're looping on it too, I don't mean even like in a negative way. It's like we loop because we're healing. It's like. I don't even see it as a loop. I see it more like we're weaving, like we're weaving, we're still healing something. And it's not just you who's looping in 2020. I would say the majority of everyone is because it was a huge trauma that we're still feeling the effects of. And we're all still trying to work out who are we since that trauma. It's a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift. We're not supposed to be the people we were when the paradigm started crumbling, but yeah. we're also not supposed to be there crucifying them. Yeah. We were who we were in that paradigm to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Is and I, and I think, I think, um, I think there's so much there to learn. And I think also, 2020 was like the beginning of Saturn and Aquarius, which was like Mars and Mercury. And so it's, it's my Mars and Mercury. So it's, and it's opposite my Saturn and Leo. I'm just turning into this annoying person that speaks in human design and astrology. So there's a lot of who am I in the public space, uh, not wanting to be seen, but also wanting to be seen, not wanting to be, you know, projected on, but one, you know, whatever. And then also who am I? Now I have a desire to come back out, but I'm struggling with, I I have this desire to be 
boundary vulnerability is what I keep saying. Like there's got to be a way to be vulnerable and allow yourself to truly be seen in all of your messiness and all of your constantly changing and all of your, I really believed that at the time, but now I, I see the other side and all of that allowing me to be a mess and wrong and sometimes manic and sometimes way off the mark and, but also not, not be responsible for other people's experience with that, but also not be not taking responsibility. So I think that that's part, that's where I get glitched is like, well, I need to take responsibility and I need to be accountable, you know? And I don't know how much of this accountability stuff is encouraging self-rejection and rejection of the humanity of others. Do you know what? When I think of who you were in 2020, do you want to know what I think? Are you open to this perspective sure. from a projector? You invite <laughs> yeah. me? Okay. I don't know if that counts as an invite if I'm asking to be invited. <laughs> I, I ask myself that a lot. Dang it. Um, so how I see you in 2020 is I see a person who is out of control. Like that person is out of control. I only want people in my life who are out of control. Mm. We hear the verbiage out of control because we are all programmed to live in the matrix. We are all coming out of a paradigm that was very controlled. And when anyone spoke out against the matrix, they were, or when I say matrix, like the nine to five, the self-rejection, uh, speaking out against religion, speaking pro-queer, pro-women, just whatever was against the grain in the moment is considered out of control and often crazy in that present moment. And that is what I yearn for in life are the people who have the courage to be out of control, to say what they're feeling in the moment, to speak with certainty, even if it might bite them in the ass. <laughs> <And> <laughs> And that takes courage, that takes boldness, that takes artistry. So I hope and pray for the wild people who are out of control. And my computer is going to die. Okay, <laughs> that's good. I've had to pee for 15 minutes. <laughs> Where can people find you? Um, I have a new podcast called Spiritual Bro Book Club. It's on everything now. I think it's on all the apps, but it is, uh, will be a video podcast when I can shoot here in the studio. So the first episode's video, second episode's audio. I want things to be light and I, um, and I, and I want things to be open-handed anyway, I'll still do AOD probably a couple times a year, which is already the, the episode schedule. So <laughs> shouldn't be too much of a change just to read comedy on Instagram and, um, that's that's it, jessareed.com. Thank you. Thank you for being Thank you. here. I hope you stay out of control. Oh, or be in control sweet. or all the things. I'm deleting that part. You can find <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me at lacyfree.com. My Instagram has been hacked. My new Instagram is at Lacey is free free and you can book a reading with me at LaceyFree.com. 
Who are the witches? Where do they come from? Maybe your great great grandmother was one. Witches are wise, wise women, they say. And each and every one of us are witches today. Thank you.